The following audio is from The Grove Church. For more information about the church or to listen to previous sermons, visit our website at grove.church. Well, welcome to The Grove Church today. I'm glad you showed up, and uh, we're in a series called Mood Swingers. Today is part four, and so if you missed some in the past, you can always listen online at grove.church. Um, before I jump into the message, though, a um, couple things I want to mention. I've been asking the church together um, for us to be praying just for the sale of our north property. There's 57 acres that we've been in contract for a while now to sell, and there was a hearing a few weeks back. Uh, the hearing examiner had three weeks to make a decision. We finally heard back this week, and it was for the positive, for the sale of the property. So that's good news. Um, definitely, definitely a step... To celebrate, I do want to encourage you, though, um, to continue to pray because there is still another three-week window where if anybody in a, in a community wants to appeal or whatever, that they can do that. So we're not quite there yet, but we're definitely one more good step closer. So keep praying for that. And then finally, I want to mention that next week is Mother's Day. And so um, for some of you that are just now finding that out, you're welcome. Uh, for that, but uh, just something to be aware of in case you got some moms in your life, want to make sure that you celebrate appropriately, and we got some great things going on around here next Sunday, I encourage you to bring your mom, or if you're a mom, to come and enjoy some things we have in store for you in particular, and uh, it's going to be a great day. Um, <clears throat> as we jump in, if you're looking for the text we're going to land on today, it's going to be Matthew chapter 14, the gospel of Matthew chapter 14, so you can go ahead and turn there if you got a Bible, if you got a phone with a Bible app, you can look it up. And of course, there is a Bible in the seat in front of you. If you want to follow along, you can do that. Heather and I, uh, my wife and I, we have four kids, and uh, they're 15, 12, 10, and 7. And um, sometimes when we're enjoying dinner together, I'll quiz them on all kinds of different things. So like for our 7-year-old, I'll say, Hudson, hey, buddy, um, give me uh, four characters in Despicable Me that you can name, and he'll name off four characters, you know. And for Stella, I'll say, hey, Stella, uh, tell you what, why don't you, she's, she's 10, I'll say, Stella, why don't you tell me what states have a border on the Pacific Ocean? And she'll try to name those, and Jackson, he's 12, and, uh, and I'll ask him, hey, bud, give me, he loves baseball, why don't you give me, you know, some number, 12 or 14, you know, Major League Baseball teams, name the city and their mascot, or who they are. Uh, or the, and then there's Emerson, and she's 15. Now, the tricky thing with her is, like some of you, your kids, my uh, daughter has now passed me in her education. So like math, there's things that she's uh, doing in math at 15 that I never got to. And so I know you're like, you're an idiot. Anyway, but that's me. So, but I'll ask her different questions. You know, like, hey, tell me the, the capital of Ethiopia. So anybody, by the way, know the capital of Ethiopia? Anyone in here? No, what? 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 Yeah, Addis Ababa. That's the capital. So if you didn't know that, you can mark that down as something you learned. And we do have missionaries, by the way, that we support that are actually there um, in that city. And uh, so just something you should know. But anyway, um, it's just a way that we kind of go around and connect with our kids and encourage them, challenge them and stuff. It's a fun thing. And I think many in the room, you can appreciate that, that, you know, that, that happens or maybe you have memories like that. But when kids are younger... Things are a lot simpler, and so if you have like a, a small baby, you know, six months, you know, nine months old or whatever, <coughs> you ask questions, or you say things like, you know, point to mommy, and they like point, like, no, no, that's daddy, you know, whatever. Um, so things like that happen, or um, you, you say, you know, where are your ears, and they like point to whatever on their head or wherever they point, um, or you say, you know, like, can you say cookie? And now here's the lesson you need to know. If you've ever said, can you say cookie, and not had a cookie in your hand, you're doing it wrong, okay? So there's a little something that you might want to know, but... Um, um, and, of course, there, there's a question that I think many of us in the room know the answer to, um, 
but you would ask this to like a, a toddler, you ask this simple question, how big are you? And what's the answer that the little toddler is going to give you? Exactly. They go, so big, and they put their hands up in the air, and they become huge or whatever. So big, and, and so that's kind of that answer. Now, just so you know, that, that conversation does not work in other contexts. So if you, for instance, you know, your, your wife, you know, you're hanging out, and she says, honey, you know, do you know my hips look big? The answer is not so big, because that's the end of a lot of things in your marriage. Um, so just a heads up on that. But um, the question, how big are you, is a great question to ask to a small child. The question I want to ask you today is this, how big is your God? <laughs> Terrible answer. <clears throat> anyway. Here, here's the deal. Theologically, we, uh, most of us in here would say, I'm a follower of Christ, I would give my life to Jesus, and that's awesome, that's a great step. If you haven't taken that step, it's a step that I really encourage you to take, believing that Jesus paid the price for your sin and for my sin on the cross, and inviting him to forgive you of all the sin, the mistakes you've made. Um, but, but when we talk about this idea of who your God is, theologically, we go, God is, you know, omnipotent, he's, he's everywhere, he knows everything, all this stuff, he's huge, all-powerful, and those are great theological answers, but the truth is, we have a tendency at times to put God in our box. Like, God is, is huge and massive, and we say that sort of theologically, you're like on a test, that's what we'd write down, but when it comes to the way that you live and the way that I live out my life, when people were looking or reflecting on what your life is about, how big would they say that your God is? Or how big is Christ in you? Or how much are you connected to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life that you can live obediently, not as a Sunday to Sunday relationship, but as a 24-7 everyday reflection on how is my faith being lived out? How am I trusting God? And so it, this all comes down to a matter of trust. And in our series, Mood Swingers, We've been navigating a bunch of different emotions, and the one I want to land on today is the emotion trust. Now, some of you go, well, wait a minute, is, is trust really an emotion? And I want you to think of the opposite just for a second. When you think about trust, you also have to think about what does it mean for me to not trust? So when I encounter a situation that seems impossible, that seems overwhelming, that sends me off the rails, am I guided by the emotion of fear? Am I frozen? Am I, am I perplexed? Am I, am I stuck where I'm at? Or... Do I trust that my God is big enough and so I have the peace that passes all understanding? And so I anchor myself to the rock of my salvation. So I respond appropriately even though the circumstance would typically dictate that I fly off the rails. Instead, I go, I am choosing to trust in this God that is so big in my life today. So trust is an emotion, and we're going to tackle that. Matthew chapter 14, it says, starting in verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves <clears throat> because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out 
in fear. God, today, our prayer together is that your work in us, God, would help us realize what trust is about, and Father, where we're walking out, trust in our faith experience, in our Christian experience. So God, we ask for you to work in every one of us to understand this better. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me rewind for a moment. Jesus has been with the disciples. They've performed, you know, he's performed miracles and, 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 and taught the crowds and word has got out all over the place to the point where in this moment right before this instance, Jesus is with the disciples and there's a whole crowd and the shadows are getting long in the day and the evening's approaching and everybody's hungry and all of a sudden, you know, Jesus multiplies, you know, th- this meal to feed over 5,000 people. It says 5,000 men, which would in addition then bring in women and children. So you can imagine this great multitude that were fed with hardly anything, and it's a miracle that happens. And so this is going on, and it says immediately Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and get away. And I want to stop for a second and ponder that and simply mention that in the midst of the busyness of the lives of the disciples and these miracles happening, part of the encouragement or part of the tension or part of the challenge to this conversation is in a world that you and I live in where we get busy, in a world that you and I live in where life becomes about accomplishing and taskless and success and, and, and getting all these things done, that even Jesus realized that the disciples needed to peel back from all that was going on and, and, and reflect on what's happening because when you and I don't take time to step back from the busyness of the life that we live and the things that need to be accomplished and the taskless and, and the success we're supposed to be experiencing and the ladders we're supposed to be climbing when we don't stop and reflect what happens is when things get out of whack we don't notice it and all of a sudden we're living for priorities that shouldn't really matter so even Jesus understood the wisdom and the need to step back so he commands the disciples to go off in a boat alone and then he in the very next verse it says he dismissed the crowd went up on a mountainside by himself to pray if Jesus needed to step back from the craziness of life and spend time in prayer with his heavenly father, how much more do you and I? And it's a great reminder for all of us to realize in busyness, it's why in scriptures, even today, I would challenge anybody, one out of seven days, step back, enjoy a Sabbath, let Jesus fill you, encourage you, and I know some of you go, that's impossible. We make excuses for why that doesn't work in our lives, and I would still challenge you, it's a healthy part of existing the way God designed. It says later that night he was there alone, and the disciples were, sorry, the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And so, So the boat's out there, and it says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Jesus is walking on water. And I look at that and go, what does that feel like? Like, is he still, is his feet wet? I mean, is he dry? Does it feel like he's floating on clouds, but he's still making the walking movement? Or, you know, is he like on something that feels firm, even though it's like he's walking on water? So Jesus is walking on water, and it says that the disciples saw him walking, and there's a storm, and, and things are, are not going well. And it says that the disciples saw him, and they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Now, Sometimes what you and I do is we read through the Bible. We read through a story like this, and, and, and we read that and go, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But I want you to do your best today to put yourself in the story. 
I want you to do your best day to think of yourself as one of the disciples, maybe Peter, in a moment we're going to get to that, maybe Peter, and all of a sudden there's this storm raging and the, the boat's rocking back and forth. They're already a bit scared because they're thinking they're maybe going to die, and all of a sudden they don't know it's Jesus. They just see some figure make its way across the landscape somewhere there, and they don't know it's him, and so they go, it's a ghost, and they freak out. You can imagine, we're going to die. This is the end. What was that? What's happening? We're cursed. Instead of, they saw a ghost and kept going. So they're freaking out, and it says this, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. I want to encourage you in the midst of of the storms that you and I face, in the midst of overwhelming circumstances, in the midst of situations where we don't know what to do, when things look grim, when things look bleak, when you don't seem like you can overcome an obstacle, there's a trial, there's a sideways relation, there's whatever it might be, that in the midst of those circumstances, if we would cry out, it says immediately, Jesus said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, Take a step back for a second and listen to the words of Jesus. He says, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. The the, the proper translation here would remind you that this is actually Jesus saying, take courage. I am. Jesus is declaring to, to the disciples that in our theology, again, I talk about Christian theology, in our theology, in our belief about who God is, we don't believe that there are multiple gods. We're not a polytheistic religion. We believe that there is one God. And so even when you hear us pray, like on a baptism Sunday, we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're not praying to three different gods. We believe in what's called, or what the word we give it is, the Trinity. That God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. And Jesus is declaring, like in the Old Testament when the Lord spoke to Moses, I am. It's the same declaration right here, which is why we believe that Jesus is God, not just a God or the Son of God, although he is. He is God. It's hard to wrap our minds around it, but we believe, and this is part of that declaration, that Jesus is God. He says, take courage. I am. Don't be afraid. And it's that reminder for you and me that when we face whatever it is, Jesus says, I am here. He refuses to leave us. He refuses to forsake us. He refuses to walk away from us. Guys, I've got this. Don't be afraid. Remember, the disciples are freaking out. Now, Peter somehow steps up from the disciples who are all probably curled up in balls together, thinking they're going to die, screaming and crying. And Peter stands up and goes, Lord, if it's you, then, then tell me to come to you. I'm, I'm thinking, what, Peter, what did you just say? I feel like Peter, if I'm, if I'm Peter, I'm like going, well, Lord, I'll come to you then. Like, what did I just do? What am I thinking? It doesn't work that way. And yet that's what Peter does. Tell me to come to you on the water. Part of the perspective I love here, to be honest, is this. It's possible that, Jesus, that, that Peter thought this, I'd rather be with Jesus doing something crazy than living in fear with the 11 other guys. And I want you to think about that for a minute. Because it's easy to say. It's easy to go, oh, that's tweetable. Put that out there. Great job, Pastor Nick. It's, it's easy to say But the question hits you and I right between the eyes. Would we rather be with Jesus living in trust, stepping out in faith, than living in comfort or in fear with the 11 other 
disciples. See, I remember when I first gave my life <coughs> to Jesus. And it was, it was the early, mid-90s, and, and I was going to Pilchuck, and, and I remember... When I gave my life to Christ, I began to read the Bible. I was part of a church setting and trying to memorize scripture and stuff like that. And, and one of the things I did was took seriously listening to music that was Christ-centered music. And I remember one of those songs back in the day, and some of you might remember this song. Some of you would have no idea. But Stephen Curtis Chapman had a song called The Great Adventure. And me and some of my friends love listening to that song because it gave you this perspective that the life of faith is not meant to be a life of comfort. It's way too quiet in here. The life of faith is not meant to be a life of comfort where everything is all about everything going easy for us. Here's a question for you. What percentage of your prayers revolve around your comfort, your getting what you want, your other, you know, other people around you being more comfortable? If it's most of your prayers, then I want you to rethink, hey God, why don't you send me? Hey God, why don't you do something amazing through me? Hey God, why don't you use me? Hey God, I'm willing to stand up and be a witness for you. Hey God, I want to be a person of bold faith. Hey God, I want to be willing to step out of the boat. It's a great adventure. When I gave my life to Christ, first of all, I, I wanted to be an actor. And I thought I'm going to go down to L.A. and I'll bust tables and I'll audition and maybe something will pop and I'll get to be famous and rich and whatever and that's going to be great. And then I gave my life to Christ, and I felt like God was calling me to be a pastor. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll give up the dream. But part of it was I was going to school, and now I don't have a, a rich family with a mattress full of money, and I didn't have a lot of money. And so I, I started going to school, and I believed that, that God told me, I want you to go debt-free. Well, again, I don't have a lot of money. I don't have money. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm going to school, and, and, and um, I, and, you know, at Northwest, it's a private school. It was expensive even back then. It's more so now. It was expensive back then. And so what happened was I would work and I'd be going to school and I would work, but then I would run out of money. So I'd have to quit school and go back and save up more money and work more and then go back to school. So what typically would take somebody four years to get a bachelor's degree, it took me eight. And I'm sitting there going, God, I'm watching my friends graduate in four years or in five years or whatever. And I'm watching them move on to careers and move to other states and ministries, all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, God, what are you doing? What about me? It's funny because yesterday uh, Stella and I were driving in the car and we were talking about education. And she's 10, but here we are, and I was telling her, uh, you know, graduate high school, and then a, a two-year degree is an associate's degree in college, and then a four-year degree is a bachelor, and a six-year, typically master, and talk about doctor, PhD. And, and so she said, uh, what do you have? I said, well, I have a bachelor's degree. She said, well, how long did it take for you? I go, well, it took eight years. <laughs> I'm like, well, but, but babe, hold on, here's the story. Okay, I'm not an idiot, I didn't flunk all my classes. Okay, here, here's what happened. But anyway, um, I'm, I'm doing this whole thing going, God, I don't know how this works. And yes, it took me eight years to get a four-year degree, but the other thing that was fun was when I was done and I got a, a letter from the, the Stafford Loan Company uh, because I guess they send out to, out to everybody, go, go to a class to figure out how you're going to pay your payments. I'm like, rip, rip, rip. I don't have to do that. But again, living by faith, I don't know, God, how this works, but here's what's going to happen. I remember every single year when there was going to be a missions trip coming around during the summer, during the late winter or into spring, we would have some announcement, hey, there's going to be a missions trip, and I always felt like God wanted me to go. So I would sign up, even though, once again, I didn't have money to go on missions trips, but every single year, I saw God provide so every single summer I could go on a missions trip, and I would go every single year. A great adventure, going, I don't know, God, all I know is here's what you said, so I'm believing that you're going to take care of the details, Here's here goes nothing. So here's Jesus, and here's Peter, and Peter says, Lord, if it's really you, then tell me to come to you. And Peter, Jesus goes, come. And you can imagine Peter like, no, you're calling my bluff. 
Jesus, you're supposed to say, it is the Lord, I'm on my way to you, sit tight, Peter. And here's the thing, that's what you and I want Jesus to say. That's what you and I want Jesus to say. Hey, hey, uh, Lord, I'll, I'll come to you. No, 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 just stay comfortable. Just keep it easy. Just stay in the, I'll be right there. And yet Jesus says, come. You can imagine, for Peter, I go like, wait, wait a minute. I, I can't do it. Like, what? Hey, hang on. What? I might look dumb. Like, what if I step out of the boat and I start sinking and these guys are going to laugh even though we're all going to die? I don't know. So Peter could be freaking out thinking, maybe I'm going to look dumb. Maybe he's thinking, Jesus is walking on water, but he's like God, so that works for him. But I'm just Peter, so I'm going to try, and it's not practical. When scientifically, the problem is his life is not frozen water. I can walk on this. That was my best Einstein. <laughs> my best one. It's not practical. People don't walk on water. Or maybe he's just simply thinking, I'm afraid. When Jesus asks something of you, when Jesus quickens something inside of you to take a step in faith, is it possible that you simply go, what if I look dumb? This isn't practical. Oh, I, I'm, I'm afraid. What has God asked of you that would put you outside of your comfort zone? What is God asking of you to cause you to step outside of your comfort zone? Is it possible that the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, if you're a follower of Christ that lives inside of you, has said to you, I want you to share your story of coming to faith in me with that friend or that family member? And you're going, I don't know what to say. Is it possible that God is asking you to let go of all the reasons why you're angry with your neighbor who never does anything right and you got a litany of stuff and you can't stand them and God is saying, let it go to build a bridge to them. Give up your rights. Is, is God saying to you that, hey, when you go to work, that person you know is having a bad week last week, would you let them know you're praying for them? Or even more so, would you, would you stop them for a moment and go, hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you, but could I just pray for you right now? And you go, I can't do that. Outside of your comfort zone, stepping out of the boat. Maybe for some of you, at the end of every service, we hey, we're going to collect the tithes and the offerings and, 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 and all that. And maybe you go, ah, that's nice, that's good or whatever. But maybe you don't take a step. But maybe God is challenging you to take a step in tithing. In giving. And we talk about it all the time that that's how the movement works. That's how we do what we do. Some people go, don't you guys get like government fun funds or, or whatever? And the truth is no. We talk and we pray about everybody taking steps and, and we give and we tithe. And tithing specifically, by the way, setting aside 10% of your income going, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust that God is my provider. And that's a way to express my faith. And that's a step I could take. Believing that God can do more with what's left with 90% than I could with all 100%. And maybe you haven't heard that before, and we don't talk a lot about that, and you go, here we go, the money thing, and if you're new, I get it, I do. But even still, is that a step of faith that you're being called to take investing in eternity? Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe if I say, who are you bitter against? Who don't you like? Who do you keep a wall away from? And all of a sudden, somebody comes to mind. Maybe there's a whole group of people, and God is going, you need to let that go. You need to forgive that individual. 
You're not helping yourself by holding on to bitterness. And maybe you go, I can't resolve it because I put it in their court. I do get that. At the same time, make sure in your own heart you're not harboring the bitterness that causes you to think angrily and spin over thoughts about their demise, things like that. It's time to forgive. Maybe, like I mentioned, it's go on a missions trip. We're gonna hear, you're going to hear about more trips as we get through this summer. We're going to be announcing new trips for 2019. Some of you guys, instead of going, man, somebody's going to have a great time, you need to go. You need to take a step of it. You need to experience other countries where we get to help other people that no strings attached. Maybe for some of you, it's to have a conversation with your spouse to rebuild some bridges because you know there's sin in the camp, because you know some things aren't right, because you know you need to deal with that because it's only gonna make things worse and repentance is a great first step. Is it rehab? Is it an addiction? Maybe it's surrendering your life to Christ because you haven't taken that step yet. What does it look like for you to step out of the boat? Because I believe God is asking you and I to be the kind of people that step out of the boat. It says, Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. I can't imagine what that would be like. But, but I, I do believe, and I'm going to go back to the how big is your God conversation. The way we live is a consequence of the size of our God. The way that you and I live every day is a consequence of the size of our God. If people were to look at you and your faith, how big would they think God is? Oh, that, that, oh that's the God you serve? I don't really want that. That's kind of puny. That's kind of wimpy. That, that's not enough. How big would they believe God is based on the way that you live your life? What kind of stories do you have? What kind of steps are you taking? What makes your heart race through the work of the Holy Spirit going, take a step, get out of the boat? And this is simple as we wrap this up, but it says this. But when he saw the wind and the waves, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. It's simple. You and I, are not going to be asked to get out of a physical boat and walk on physical water. I don't care how many times you keep thinking about it. What if? I mean, not Lake Stevens over here. It's a good one. What if? Let me just tell you, it's not for you. It's not about actually physically walking on water. It's taking a step of trusting, even though at times you go, I don't know what the result's going to be. I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know what the end result looks like. I don't say this because I'm trying to tell you and I'm not living it. Let, let, me, let me let you in on a little secret here. There is a season right now as a pastor that I'm living in where I'm going two weeks from Sunday, which I encourage you to be here a couple Sundays from now. Mother's is going to be awesome. Two Sundays from now, we're going to have a big conversation. Okay, We're going to have the family conversation about the church and where we're going and what God might be asking of us. And I'm sitting here today going, I don't even know the answer right now. Because I believe that there's a future ahead where I go, there's some huge things that God, I think you're asking. And yet I still stand here today, literally stand here today going, I, I don't know. God, is that really what you want? Is this of you? These things that we've been thinking, praying, planning, fasting, dreaming about, is, is, that, is this what you want? Because if we're missing it, Lord, we'll course correct by all means. It's like here I am as a pastor going, God, there, there are certain things that, that I don't know what the answer is. And God, I want you to show, Lord, I'm throwing out the fleece like, hey, Lord, throw some water on there. That'll, that'll prove it. 
Some of you guys don't know that's a story from Gideon in the Old Testament. He's like, Lord, if that's really you, put some fleece on it. You know, anyway, but, but here I am, and, and I'm living this out right now. I'm praying, God, would you show me specifically? Because there's coming kind of a crunch time, a window, where it's like now is the time or, or not at all. We've got to put this on pause. And I would encourage you to pray about that too. Like, God, what are we going to do? Because I'm not in this alone. This is all of us. Jesus, what do you want? What are you saying? How do we continue to dream and reach the communities that we've been talking about? Believing that something can be different. Believing that, that, that Christ's church is meant to transform communities. We've said many times before about well, we'll lead the way with irrational generosity. We've said the church does not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. Somebody once said years ago, they put it this way. The local church is the only organization that exists for the sole purpose of its non-members. When you're sitting here going, well, what's in it for me? You know what's in it for you? A cookie and a cup of coffee. <laughs> Have at it. And you go, but you run out. I'm sorry, we're doing our best. In the meantime, go change lives. I mean, honestly, this is not like, what can we do for you? You're here and this is a country club. No, 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 it's not. We've said many times, this is all hands on deck, believing that the local church is the hope of the world, that we exist to help people see Jesus Christ. Period. That's what we dream about. That's what we live for. But then Peter took his eyes off Jesus. Once again, like, ah, it's me. Stepping out in faith. Okay, big God. Uh-oh. There's a storm. And you focus on the other things that cause you to worry or panic instead of trust. And all of a sudden, Peter began to sink. But once again, just like before when the disciples cried out, it says Peter cried out, and once again, immediately, Jesus reached out. Same is true in our lives. We take steps of faith, and there's moments where it feels like we're starting to sink, and if only we would cry out, Jesus would be going, I'm here. We cool. Hashtag got this. I'm good. Finally, it says that Jesus reached out his hand and, and caught Peter and said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And that's not said as a rebuke. It's not, why did you doubt? You have little faith. It's like a parent when a kid's learning to ride a bike and they fall off. It's said like a parent would when the kid falls. Ah, like, oh, buddy, come on, man. You forgot to keep pedaling and keep steering. You got this next time. Let's go. That's how it's said. Just like our Heavenly Father, when we go, God, I'm sinking. God comes and goes, come on, we've got this. Let's keep going. Come on, steps of faith here. That's what I'm asking of you. Come on. And finally, it says this. When Peter and Jesus, when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped Jesus, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. What I love about this, and this is the end of the message, is that we see the disciples freaking out, crying in fear, but it says that, that as soon as Jesus got into the boat, the storm quit. Like just calm seas. All of a sudden, waves, all this crazy stuff. Jesus gets in the boat and it's like, like calm. And they're go going like, who in the world has that? Hold on. And it says that they bow down and worship. You know what I love about this? Peter was the only one who stepped up. But all the disciples got to enjoy the benefit. Jesus gets in the boat and everything's calm and it says that they worshiped him. 
And I'm a believer, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The greatest way to train yourself to trust is to worship. It's a lifestyle of worship. You go, what do you, what do you mean by that? What I mean is, when you join, like, like today, in, in singing what we sang a little bit earlier, and, and the, the idea, you know, the sun has set us free, and stuff like that, you're declaring truth. That is, little do you know, training you to lean into those things when the trials come. See, a lot of times we go, Lord, I just I commit to trusting you today, and I'm going to trust more. But here's what happens. It, it, that's not, we're not training ourselves when we pray that. What's happening is when, when we say, I'm going to trust you more, God gives us opportunity to choose in the moment to either trust or not trust. But the training is in the worship. Where is our focus on a regular basis? This is where we talk about ongoing reading scripture. We talk about having things like a, a Spotify or iTunes playlist. And maybe you grab a cup of coffee in your Bible and you got a nice place in your backyard. Or you take a drive somewhere with a great view. Or you, you have a place in, in your house, a room where you just pray or, or draw near. Training yourself in worship in the moment that the trial comes. And you either have the emotion of fear or you get to enjoy the emotion of trust is because you're training yourself regularly in worship. Because worship removes all the peripheral things and narrows your focus on Jesus. Worship also quickens your spirit. And that's what I'm saying about when the trial comes, the quickest thing to you is what you've immersed yourself in. If you immerse yourself in, in anger and frustration and annoyance and songs that are all about things that, that, that don't help you be built up, then when the trial comes and instead of being led by trusting and leaning into trust and you live in fear and you throw out four-letter words and you huck things and you all of a sudden create this display of like, where did that come from? Well, guess what? Garbage in, garbage out. But the other thing is also true, faith in, faith out. And finally, worship feeds your soul. You're feeding yourself when you choose to worship. Especially when I think about the lyrics to the song we were singing earlier. The joy of being set free and the declaration that you and I, we are children of God. I love that that's our identity because of what Jesus has done. Let me, let me end with this. The question is, how big is your God? In what ways are you being asked to step out of faith? In what examples, and, and I maybe haven't even mentioned some for you, what examples? You hear me and you go, that's one. And then my prayer would be the Holy Spirit doesn't let that go from you. That you leave here today and go, son's nice, good message, glad I went to church, week goes on. No, no, I'm praying the Holy Spirit chases you like a hound you can't get away from needing to face whatever it is that you're being asked to step out of the boat father today god my prayer for all of us is that we're listening to you that we're, we're drawing near that there's a holy spirit inside of us and that, that there are moments where you are guiding us you're, you're asking us to 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 take a step like peter and that God, with our focus on you, we're reminded that you are amazing, that, that practically, for all intents and purposes, nobody gets to walk on water. It doesn't work that way. But it's amazing how you will call us out of the boat 
And for some, out of the boat is you got to get into rehab. For some, out of the boat is have a conversation with your spouse and repent of whatever sin is going on. For some, getting out of the boat is, is taking a step in giving financially. Some, getting out of the boat is forgiving. Some, getting out of the boat is sharing their faith. Some, getting out of the boat is, is taking a step in praying for somebody, letting them know. God, there's all kinds of ways. But Father, my prayer for all of us is that you would identify every person in this room Every one of us, what does it look like for us to step out of the boat? And Father, let us obey and watch as we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Podcast. If you want to keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook or sign up for our e-newsletter at grove.church.